Section 10 of The Age of Elizabeth by Mandel Creighton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Book 3, Spain and the Netherlands. Chapter 1, The Spanish Monarchy. The power exercised by Charles V had come to him from different sources. He had gathered it into his hands, not because he was the representative of any great political idea, but because he was the heir of many ruling families. Charles V had been educated in Flanders under the care of his aunt, from whom he imbibed the principles of the old Burgundian policy. His great-grandfather on his father's side, Charles the Bold, Duke of Burgundy, had done his best to break down the power of the King of France, and had formed the plan of creating a separate kingdom along the Rhine, embracing his dominions of Burgundy and the Netherlands. His attempt had failed, and the French king had seized upon his Burgundian domains. It was the first object of Charles V to recover these possessions from France. At first Charles began to govern in the interests of the Flemings, but this was so distasteful to the Castilians that it provoked a serious rebellion. Charles saw his mistake and detached himself for the future from any special connection with any one of the countries under his rule. He governed Castile, Aragon, the Netherlands, Germany, Milan, Naples, Sicily, besides settlements in Africa and the New World. But over all these he ruled by a different title and exercised a different power. One great object of his reign had been to make his power supreme in each of these his dominions, and to weld them together by means of a common administrative system. To a great extent, Charles V succeeded. In Castile, Milan, Naples, and Sicily, the royal power secured its supremacy by pitting against one another contending parties in the old constitution, while it made good its own position as against them both. In Germany we have seen that Charles V did not succeed in securing the permanent supremacy of his own house. In the Netherlands he saw the necessity of behaving with moderation and of respecting the constitutional privileges of the several provinces. For the Netherlands were the wealthiest part of his dominions, and had always been engaged in commerce. The great trading cities each possessed its charter, and they were willing to grant money only when this charter was rigidly respected. It was from the cities of the Netherlands that Charles V had raised the greater part of the money that had enabled him to carry on his war with France. He was too prudent to quarrel with the people of these provinces or attempt to make any changes in their constitution. The government was carried on by means of a perpetual balance between the power of the prince and the rights of the provinces and cities. The Netherlands gave Charles money liberally, but they asserted that they would do it of their own free will and would not pay an arbitrary tax. To this Charles answered that he would grant them liberties, but they should not haggle with him like a huckster. On this basis of the recognition of mutual rights by prince and people, the provinces of the Netherlands were loyal to Charles V. They looked upon him as a native prince, for he had been brought up among them. But under Philip II all this began to change. 
philip had been brought up in castile and was spanish in character in manner in appearance in language his coldness haughtiness and pride vexed the flemings his reserve seemed to them to be contemptuous yet they were loyal to philip at first it was the troops of the netherlands that won for him the decisive battle of saint quentin and enabled him to make with france the peace of cateau cambrecy in fifteen fifty nine when this had been concluded philip returned to spain which he never left again charles v had not ruled in the interest of any one of the countries under his power he had had no capital but moved about from place to place according as the necessities of the times demanded but philip the second first gave to the power which he had inherited a fixed seat in castile he founded a spanish empire with madrid as its capital from madrid he himself would govern his dominions the countries over which he ruled were to be regarded as provinces of spain they should be cared for by spanish viceroys and be treated as members of a great administrative system this change in the political relations of the countries which formed the dominions of philip the second came gradually when once it had been made it was most important for the destinies of europe if one man were to wield absolutely all the resources of these scattered provinces if he were to infuse into all these peoples the daring fierce fanatical spirit of the spaniards if he were to combine them to fight for spain and catholicism the control of the future of europe would be in his hands philip the second was profoundly ambitious like his ancestors he believed that to his house belonged the rule of the world but he was obliged to adapt his method to his own individual character and capacity he was no military leader who could inspire his soldiers by his presence nor was he a vigorous and genial prince whose winning and affable manners might create enthusiasm for his rule but he was a diligent industrious calm and calculating politician the personal disadvantages and ill-health which prevented him from taking a brilliant part in the affairs of the world might make him more fit to take a decisive one alone in quietness unswayed by the passions of combatants and undisturbed by the tumult of discordant advice he might as from a height of contemplation look down upon the complicated affairs of europe and shape them to his own ends this was philip's ideal of life in the seclusion of his gloomy residence of the escurial he aimed at pulling the threads which were to move the course of europe from morning to night he sat alone in his cabinet and received the dispatches which poured in from every quarter all communications were carried on with him by writing and he was his own chief minister the dispatches were read and read again they were marked and underlined and analyzed and commented on in their margin they were laid aside and carefully weighed and compared laboriously with others their truth and the integrity of their writers were tested by every means which the ingenuity of a suspicious nature without a spark of affection or sympathy could suggest at last the conclusion drawn from all this careful thought and comparison of contradictory authorities slowly took shape as a definite plan all was calmly and deliberately done when a plan was once formed it was deliberately carried out and no exaltation followed its success no complaint its failure 
philip was an admirable and conscientious man of business he set about the task of governing the world as though it had been a trade and if the world could have been governed by the industry of a painstaking clerk philip would have succeeded admirably philip never trusted any one but regarded his ministers as instruments for carrying out his schemes habitually reserved himself he listened to everything that was told him without betraying his own feelings rival ministers poured out to him their accusations against one another he listened without being carried away he allowed a plan to be carried out but judged it solely by its success and if it failed he at once abandoned its contriver none of his ministers were sure of his continued favour if he distrusted a man he gave no sign of it till he had gradually detached him from the business in which he was employed and had deprived him of all means of being harmful then he suddenly dismissed him philip felt that the weakness of his political position was its unattractiveness and want of interest in the eyes of ordinary men this interest he secured by completely identifying himself and his policy with the cause of catholicism in so doing he was no hypocrite for he was sincerely religious but he saw the advantage to be gained by making his own interests coincide with those of the old religion as the champion of catholicism he interfered in the affairs of europe in such a way that the gain of catholicism must in every case lead to an increase in the power of spain it was for this purpose that he identified his government with spain which had still fresh in its memory the crusades against the moors and where protestant opinions were regarded as a sure token of the taint of jewish or moorish blood thus under philip spain became enthusiastically catholic the castilians felt their pride gratified at seeing their country made the seat of philip's power and they were willing to be taxed for its maintenance their chivalrous spirit was enlisted on the side of their religion round philip's person as being the champion of that religion was thrown the glamour of a passionate loyalty such as was far removed from the old spanish spirit philip had been wise in identifying himself with spain he had obtained by that means in spite of all his disadvantages a power which his father had never been able to gain it remained for philip to establish the spirit of spain in the other parts of his dominions especially in the netherlands End of section ten.